Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latina Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fallis. My guest today is la doctora Paloma Martinez Cruz. Martinez Cruz is a professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese at Ohio State University. Her areas of study include performance and popular culture, borderlands and indigenous studies, and gender and power in Latino cultures. Her latest book, Food Fight, Millennial Mestizaje Meets the Culinary Marketplace, published by the University of Arizona Press, takes us to a Chicanx gastronomic journey. Paloma tackles head-on the real-world politics of food production from the exploitation of farm workers to the appropriation of Latinx bodies and cultures, and takes us right into transformative eateries that offer a homegrown mestiza consciousness. She's also a core member of the performance troupe La Pocha Nostra and coordinator of Onda Latina Ohio, a performance initiative showcasing the identities and creativity of Latinas in Ohio. Bienvenida a este episodio, Paloma. Muchísimas gracias, Elena. Super placer. Uh, tell me about arriving to Ohio. How did that story begin? It began when I had an initial conversation with Dr. Frederick Aldama about the position that was opening up in the Spanish and Portuguese department. They were looking to hire a full-time Latinx cultural studies professional. Mm -hmm. And that's a, it's, it's a bit of a unique combination, a department of Spanish and Portuguese that has a mission also to include the study of U.S. Latino, Latina, Latinx cultural production. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was excited about that because that's where my degrees both were. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, my first time visiting was when I got the job interview. I was a finalist uh, for the position. And I was so impressed with the work that I was going to get to do mm -hmm. and the people I was going to get to do it with that I didn't much think about what it would mean to become an Ohioan. I didn't have that in my head really as much of a category. But um, when I look back, I had thought about Ohio, even in high school, I joke sometimes, you know, I'm from Los Angeles and mm -hmm. I uh, did graduate school in New York City. And then I was in Chicago for maybe about eight years. I was at the, uh, I, my first time in the Midwest was at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and I had a one-year postdoc. And I was, you know, and then I got a one-year job in Northern Illinois. And, I, well, it wasn't one year, actually. I started applying pretty quickly after that. So I right. was in the Midwest, right? Yeah. I mean, I knew from, you know, hard winters. Yeah. I knew from waiting for an L train in a parka, <laughs> you know, with the mm -hmm. Chicago wind blowing all around and you're just kind of crying a little bit. <laughs> so, right. you know, I, I haven't I'd had those experiences. I had been in the Midwest. So Ohio felt a little bit to me like a, you know, south, south, east, east side, mm -hmm. right? I, mm -hmm. and, and in fact, I think I treated it that way my first year here where I was just so happy with the, the job and the work and um, all the ways that they, uh, that there was room for the kinds of program building I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I was going back to Chicago. I was still playing in my band. I had a band 
Tijuana Hialeah, and I was the lead singer and the bass player, and I wrote the songs, and we were a a three-person band out there, and we were still getting gigs, and we started getting invited to festivals, and so I was kind of treating it like, okay, I'm kind of living in both places. Mm -hmm. But eventually, it wasn't serving either purpose, right? I just Mm -hmm. needed to focus, and I think once that I did that, once I did that, I, I was able to really commit to blooming where I was planted mm-hmm. and understanding that Columbus did not owe me the kind of experience I was having in Los Angeles. It didn't owe me the experience mm-hmm. I was having in Chicago. And it didn't need to be good enough. It just needed to be where I determined to bloom, mm-hmm. where I determined mm-hmm. to plant seeds, where I determined to um really embrace all the things that OSU was offering me in terms of program building, Mm -hmm. in terms of just um, amplifying what uh, the kind of cultural work that I wanted to do. So when I was here, um, uh, with your help, Mm -hmm. Dr. Elena, (laughs) we started Onda Latina Ohio, and um, I kept kept working on that. I am Mm -hmm. now coordinating it. and we're doing, you know, we, we've been doing that for for a year. Next year, it'll be 10 years. Mm-hmm. I know. I was going to ask you about that. Man, that's been almost 10 years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, Doesn't I really the like. the time fly? Yes. I really like what you said about giving... Uh, its own space to Ohio, right? Like the Ohio doesn't have to be this or that for for us or this other replace, you know, the places where we've been. It can be, and it is its own thing and this where you build, you know, uh, maybe other parts of yourself or uh, grow or bloom. I really like that word, bloom. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and if you're you're not set on comparing it to other places, then you're able to open up to what is here. Right. And if you can do that, you're going to find endless things to explore. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think for somebody who comes from the big urban cities that I've come from, you might start comparing or you might be tempted to do that. Mm -hmm. But it really, you know, my life gave me the chance to have a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad for that. And it took time. But I'm, you know, I, I think that I had so much opportunity to, to build the kinds of things that I wanted to be part of. So instead of thinking of it as Columbus owes me to, a certain way to be, mm-hmm. I'm like, what kind of way can I bring to it? Right. What can I be here? Mm-hmm. What can I do? And it's all in my mind mm-hmm. how I determine to inhabit a space. Mm-hmm. And I tell my graduate students over and over, I'm like, that place doesn't owe you anything. You show up. You figure out how you're going to be. Don't figure out how to fit in. Figure out how to thrive. And you'll bring the space with you Mm -hmm. to that commitment Mm -hmm. to being your unique self wherever you're planted. And and you make room for that where you are. Mm -hmm. And the opportunities and the energy will follow. Right, right. Uh, Paloma, how did your interest in food studies come about? Well... I did tell you about moving to Columbus, right? <laughs> One of yes. the things that I quickly realized is that, you know, hey, you know, that that is that is the, the last the last remaining thing that I will compare is really like <laughs> how to get good Mexican, right? I could talk the right. talk, but you know, oh, really yes. walking the walk is a whole other story, right? Like I know how I should be and it's an aspiration, but you know, like really the the hard part is um food is life. 
food is culture, food is energy, and food is place, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. sense of place um, that that food gives you, uh, that connection. So I think, of course, like anybody, I started looking for where that connection could come from. Mm-hmm. And I started noticing that um, a lot of the Mexican-tinged, Mexican-inspired restaurants were actually um, they were white owned and they were also white facing Mm -hmm. and when I say white facing I mean that they did not anticipate Latino patrons or Mexican patrons who were going to get their feelings hurt frankly Mm -hmm. when they come in and see this defamatory um, advertising and image system that they have going on so there's a lot of defamatory there's a lot of defamation Mexican Mm -hmm. restaurants in Columbus. Mm -hmm. There's also heritage-owned restaurants, but they also have adapted flavor profiles to meet the expectations of non-heritage consumers. And while there is nothing racist about that, people should be able to eat whatever they want. Mm -hmm. When it's accompanied by defamatory image systems, something hurtful is going on. Uh, Paloma, you just mentioned that you're from California and you've been in the Midwest for almost 20 years, I think. Back to that, how time flies. <laughs> you know, first uh, you were in Chicago, you were in Illinois, and then now Ohio. Um, how did each of, how do you see um, each of this region engage in food production, food justice, or injustice? Yeah. And cultural ap- appropriation through food. And you just mentioned a little bit, right, as sort of the different types of restaurants that are out there and, and not being conscious of how they're representing their, the culture that they're selling in a way, right? Yeah. Um, so when I was in Chicago, I lived in the famous Pilsen neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is a um, Spanish-speaking, Mexican-dominant neighborhood. And um, I know it's changed a lot. Even when I was there, there was uh, definitely the phenomenon of gentrification. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was that was definitely taking place. And now it's thoroughly transformed. But still, the restaurants, there was a lot of Mexican food that um, was prepared with care, uh, prepared towards a Mexican diner, mm-hmm. so that the pre- flavor profile uh, was consistent with something that you might find in Mexico. Uh, and that was also something that, you know, as an educator, as a single mom, I was going to find that it wasn't going to, you know, eating out wasn't going to mean that now I can't pay rent. You know, I was right. able to go to places that were working class. And mm-hmm. and um, I think I'm getting a little weepy now thinking about it. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> you know, like just like a, yeah. uh, just the tacos and nopales and Aww. things like that. I could just run out and grab everything. <laughs> Um, so that was that was a really beautiful food culture. And, you know, I want to say that that was, you know, missing that connection was something that opened my eyes in specific ways to, you know, when I would step out. And, you know, you work. You can't mm-hmm. always um, – there's not enough hours in the day, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to sit there and, you know, figure out the guisado and the rice and the beans and the tortillas and the, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's really um, a lot of work to put together something that has – um, that value, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just 
you know, looking around here and finding that, yeah, the, the defamation restaurant scene or the heritage restaurant that was going to be very, very much, very much um, geared toward the appetites of um, non-heritage consumers. And, and they have every right to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's the, um, yeah, the kind of the talking down, the laughing at, mm-hmm. the laughing at the fact of Mexicanness that I was seeing over and over again. Mm-hmm. The, where that was the butt of the joke, you know? Right. Um, the, so, I, you know, I think that there's some hopeful things going on. But, again, the, the, the folks that contend to, the folks that will be affording handmade tortillas that are organic, that are heirloom, the folks that are eating real frijoles, the, for, the folks that are eating... You know, I guess the non-GMO, the organic food, the sourced in, you know, the sourced um, with dignity food, mm-hmm. that is now the new gourmet. Right. Any, so you find the people who, you know, the indigenous in heritage ways. people, mm-hmm. the mestizaje heritage eaters are not going to be able to afford mm-hmm. what now is hipster food. That's right. the new gourmet. Mm-hmm. Right. Local heritage, non-GMO, organic, all of these now are codes for what Indian and Mestizo people used to eat and can no longer eat Mm -hmm. because their foodways have been devastated by neoliberal policies, Mm -hmm. no economic policies that favor United States corn, United States processed foods. Mm -hmm. So that we're seeing food, what they call food deserts, we're seeing that happen in Mexico where they're never, you know, where that was not a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And along with that, we're seeing the disease rise, right? Diabetes, mm-hmm. heart disease, right. obesity. We're seeing all of these diseases. This disease load of the United States is now in Mexico. And here it's going to be the non-heritage hipsters who are going to mm-hmm. have access to the actual healthy stuff that comes from there. Right. One of the things that you said reminded me about, you know, those what you are calling heritage uh, restaurants and um, how they adapt to the non-heritage palate, I guess. Uh, they try to alter a little bit some of their foods, right? And, and I have a story of a restaurant here that was... Um, um, that is, it still exists, and it was uh, Salvadoran, and it had a Salvadoran name, uh, the restaurant. And people suggested to the owners that they should use, because it was very uncommon, right? Uh, and so they suggested that they use a name that was more easily recognizable. Uh, and they went with Burrito Loco, <laughs> which which tells me nothing about um, the fact that this is a Salvadoran restaurant. And it tells me a lot about um, what, you know, uh, non-Salvadorans, uh, non-Mexicans think mm-hmm. of this type of food, right? By saying burrito loco, for example. Yeah. Um, and I, and I'm a big supporter of the restaurant, and you know, I go there to, to yeah. eat. But I thought the story was unfortunate, right? Because um, uh, they um, responded to something um, to make their restaurant um, no, be uh, be noticed, right? So that people yeah. could notice it. Um, and I think maybe those sacrifices, uh, that part of I- your identity or your tradition or your culture, wouldn't have to be 
sacrifice if you lived in other regions, right? Um, right. Right. So that's you know something that I think about when you when you mention that. Yes, mm-hmm. there is an interesting. Pl- the, this is an interesting place in terms of a deliberate move towards the middle. Mm-hmm. This is where fast foods, Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. has fast foods trying out new items, mm-hmm. new menu items here. Because this is considered the middlest middle America. Mm -hmm. It is diverse. And it is diverse in ways that are predictive of how the rest of the country is going to handle something. Mm -hmm. But this is that, you know, this is that like middle of the when you want to figure out how the middle of the road (laughs) (laughs) in this country, you know, behaves, you know, this is your town for that. Mm And you you kind of feel it, right? There's mm-hmm. a definite, um, a, there's there's something kind of hegemonizing. There's something like, yes, but make it vanilla, mm-hmm. right? Yes. There's mm-hmm. there's not a lot of risk, or um, and risk is not rewarded very mm-hmm. well here, mm-hmm. and that is that definitely plays out in the culinary scene. Uh, but you're you you know there's a lot of examples of mm-hmm. the burrito loco right. shift right mm-hmm. right one of the best taco trucks in town or it's not really quite a taco truck but it's a you know Latin American food mm-hmm. fusion type mm-hmm. of truck and they've they have the name exotic yeah Latino grill right or exotic yeah. Latin grill Lat- yeah. exotic Latino grill. Yeah, it has that word exotic. For it sure. is the word exotic, right? <laughs> exactly. They're like they're 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 saying we know you don't know us. Mm-hmm. We know we're unknown, or we know we're other, mm-hmm. right? So it feels like there is a lot of self othering mm-hmm. for people who are start, you know, for for even for for migrant for heritage business owners trying to make a go of it. And so my hats off to them, mm-hmm. right? I fully understand that they understand where they are. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, I don't have to be crazy about it, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like I get it. I get what they're coming from is trying to make a viable living of, of you know, um, of, of selling their food and, and creating something that they're, that they're good at. Mm-hmm. You know, I want their businesses to prosper. And, and yet, uh, it's sad to see them play to, right. play to that middle denominator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in ways that are kind of specific to Columbus. Like we have, I remember in Chicago, w- one of the biggest um, uh, Latinx street festivals, which for which Chicago was very well known, the, one of the summer festivals um, was called uh, Festival del Sol, mm-hmm. I think it was, right? Here, the equivalent is Festival Latino. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to signal, like, okay, this is the thing. This is mm-hmm. the exotic Latin grill. This is the Latino festival. This is the, you know, burrito loco. I remember there's a place, there was a place called Taco Loco. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're crazy. Mm-hmm. But there's a deeper history in that, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, that locura thing, mm-hmm. um, it actually does come from the notion that uh, you cross the border to get crazy. Mm. You cross the border for the margarita. You cross mm. the border for the marijuana. You cross the border for whatever vice mm-hmm. 
and there's a and Mexican tourism and Mexican beer companies they have all fed into that right mm-hmm. like we're, tomorrow Cinco de Mayo right, right. They, they've all fed into the Cinco de Drinco mm-hmm. um, attitude towards Mexican culture and that's right. very much exploited in restaurants mm-hmm. and that's one of the big ways where you see that exploitation or that that defamation what mm-hmm. I call culinary brownface right. you see it a lot around beverage culture right Mm -hmm. come get drunk at a mexican establishment come get crazy we're loco i say so that comes from that um cross the border for your debauchery Mm -hmm. and that's that's has its roots in the prohibition era where people were you know booze was illegal here so you cross the border Mm -hmm. and you party hard it's Mm kind of like mexico is the permanent speakeasy and these, you know, people who are selling alcohol, they want you to think that and they want you to come through and they want you to get crazy and they want it to be the um, Mexican, uh, you know, what do you call it? St. Patrick's Day where you just, just, you know, license to debauchery. And that is uh, people make bucks. Right. But it's at the expense of, um, you know, a culture's dignity. Right. Absolutely. Um, I just think of, you know, I lived on, on the border uh, towns and I and I as you speak I remember that just people going across the border para hacer un desmadre no para hacer todo su desmadre um, and not really not not really interested in visiting the city but in um, in el desmadre no <laughs> yes basically mm-hmm. there's a lot of industry around specifically that kind mm-hmm. of tourist mm-hmm. right the senor frogs or mm-hmm. the cabo wabo or mm-hmm. the you know the uh there's a whole industry that is around making sure non-heritage folks from the north mm-hmm. are going to feel like they have that speakeasy get crazy frat party mm-hmm. customer service right you no know, tequila body shots mm-hmm. and the What's the Tijuana handshake is pouring a bunch of tequila down someone's throat. Mm. No. Mm-hmm. So those are all important. Um, those are important cliches that mm-hmm. both sides of the border perpetrate. Right. right. I think both right. sides of the border Absolutely. are culpable for, mm-hmm. you know, there is one that demand. But Mexican tourism and, and beverage companies um, also feed that and, and, and stoke that. Right. right. Um, one example that I have, and it's a it's actually a performance I did. Um, was I bought, I went to the biggest costume shop online and did a search for Mexican mm-hmm. in one of the search terms. And then woman was the other search term. So Mexican woman. And it revealed one costume. <laughs> and I put this costume on and I played bass in Chicago in a gallery. I did kind of a monologue about mm-hmm. the experience of mm-hmm. wearing a costume that was the only search terms were Mexican woman. And I determined whatever it was, I was going to wear it, right? That's brave. <laughs> well, you know. And, and the, the costume was sexy tequila shooter girl. Mm. So I was basically wearing a polyester bandana. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. and boy, was I cold. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, that is brave, Paloma. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> So tell me a little bit more about this term, um, culinary brown face. Um, what are some other examples that you have that sort of can help us understand even more how this you yeah. know, exists? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think one of the places to look at, I mean, you, 
once your eyes are open to it, mm-hmm. you can't unsee it, mm-hmm. right? Once you come in and start seeing the um, cliche decor and um, the mock Spanish, mm-hmm. right? Like there's an advertisement. There's a place in, in Lima, Ohio called Banditos, right? So right from the get-go, you have mm-hmm. this uh, like stereotype that right. the Mexican Anti-Defamation League has worked really hard to mm-hmm. get rid of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there used to be Cheeto Bandito, and that was the mascot for the Frito Lay Company. Right. And the Defamation League said, "Hey, you got to stop that, right?" Mm-hmm. Just like they did with the Ch- Taco Bell Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. But some parts of Ohio are not hip to that, and so there's a, a restaurant called Banditos. It's clearly not heritage owned, and it's mm-hmm. not heritage facing, mm-hmm. right? And they have a drink special every month called Cinco de Drinco. That's what their special is called. You can come in the fifth of every month and get cheap cocktails mm-hmm. or cheap drinks. You know, it's like a happy hour day mm-hmm. once a month. But they don't do that on Cinco de Mayo because they already anticipate. That's They don't have to try and win people right. into their restaurant on that mm-hmm. day because they know they can guarantee everybody's going to come out and say all these non-heritage people are going to mysteriously be seized by the spirit of Cinco de Mayo. you know and observe it faithfully right right which are by the way the only people observing that you know (laughs) unless unless i would say unless um there is a kind of semana de la raza Mm -hmm. there are people who are heritage culture who will anticipate the kind of exposure that they get that day Mm -hmm. and then shift it to actually be a cultural celebration and i see that going on um, I, I, I do see that going on more in the West, but out mm-hmm. here, the drink yeah, culture, that. the bar. Yeah, we need that, we right? Need that. You're yeah, like, mm-hmm, seriously. Yeah, 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 let's get some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's mm-hmm. swap out what we got going on mm-hmm. and get some of that. Yeah, you have to make sure. <laughs> I mean, you do. You get that all the time right here in the Midwest. They come, um, you know, come Cinco de Mayo and they're like, oh, happy Cinco de Mayo. And I'm like, well, do you even know what this is? <laughs> Um, or they tell it to anybody, like even if they're not Mexican, right? And yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Like, what are you observing? Mm-hmm. What are you exactly? really that thrilled about the Battle of Puebla? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, does that really reach you down in your heart? Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you know? no, that I love the idea of like a raza week or you yeah. know just a semana um, de la raza, an educational bring, opportunity. Yeah, educational. That's you right. Know? Educational and it's a time opportunity. Here in the Midwest, where people need to party. My God, I sympathize right (laughs) i love the color of mexican culture and i love the beverage specials i'm not gonna hate i love that stuff but you know to not attach it to defamation Mm -hmm, i don't think that's a big ask Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. and it comes at a time where schools are letting out where this winter has finally you know uh taken right winter is finally in the rear view Mm -hmm. and you don't have to wear your heavy coat and Mm -hmm. you can just Right. I I understand. It's a very external get out there time of the year. Mm -hmm. And what could be better than, you know, Mexican food and drinks to to, you know, warm you up finally. I'm I'm for it. I just would like to see some more education so that it doesn't end up being the most bigoted time of the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, How does your book um, or you and your class Taco Planet, which did you, te- did you te- teach? We're going to teach it next. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, it's in the final stages of getting approved. Right. Um, 
I've worked, um, yeah, yeah, I've been working on, on how to create that kind of a class for undergraduates here at OSU. So how does that, uh, your book and this uh, uh, class coming up, um, employ a decolonial approach to food studies? Mm. Yes. Well, I think it's important to understand what colonial is, mm -hmm. right? And colonial colonizing behaviors are one, upholding racist values, mm -hmm. no? Upholding the superiority of white and European civilization. And two, they're extractive. Mm -hmm. So colonial approaches to food are extractive. Mm -hmm. And that means ripping off, mm -hmm. ripping off people, taking things out of context, uh, misappropriating them, mm -hmm. right, for mm -hmm. your own gain. So you see a lot of that kind of extractive food around here mm -hmm. where people are non-heritage folks are taking um, cultural symbols and you know f and food um, taking it out of context and having no kind of relationship with the community mm -hmm. so right. I'm trying to see if colonization is always extracting and always racist mm -hmm. can we detect food practices that are adding the context back. Mm -hmm. What does it mean? What do these communities mean? What is the experience of these communities? What is the experience of a taco truck, heritage-owned taco truck in the, in the Columbus community? What is that experience compared to the, um, the taqueria that is kind of geared towards non-heritage, mm -hmm. the hip scene, the hip crowd? And, you know, like, w w if we can maybe build some critical tools for understanding how these are very different kinds of establishments right. um, and they mean something different in our community. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you understand colonization as never not extracting, always taking, never giving back, and always affirming and upholding the superiority of, of white heritage, mm -hmm. and if you can compare that, then you can. it's easy to see what a decolonial prospect is, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. is one that doesn't do those things and one that really tries to continually bring the context of the community's needs mm -hmm. to the forefront. And an example is right there, in, uh, right outside of Lima, there was a restaurant. So you have banditos over here doing mm -hmm. this really extractive stuff. But then there was another establishment not too far away, um, like maybe 15, 20 minutes outside of Lima, Ohio, and it's called Luceros. And at Lucero's, it was a heritage establishment. Mm. It was geared towards heritage customers. You could tell because there was also the little shop there where you're going to have the productos mexicanos mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. and clothing, botas. You could buy your boots. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> nice. very cute. Uh, but there was murals all over. Mm. It didn't have the serapes and that confusing you know, tropical parrot next to a cactus, right? Just, you know, didn't have that like, right. you know, hodgepodge, you know, a flamenco dancer <laughs> right next to Cervantes, right. you know, and Sancho Panza. Like, you know, it didn't have that like grab bag of every, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Hispanic cliche. Mm -hmm. You know, instead it was murals. And the Mexican mural tradition is very much a community telling the story of mm -hmm. itself mm -hmm. for dignity, for equality, right? Uh, that has a long um, history. It's artwork that has a long history of being for, by and for the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you could tell right away that there was this dignity that pervaded the mm -hmm. atmosphere and there was a flow there. The flavor profile was much, much better, 
but also the atmosphere wasn't participating in defamatory Mm -hmm. styling, right? Mm -hmm. Defamatory symbolism. Uh, So you could just feel the pride right away when you walked in and it was lovely. And the owner wanted to take us through their, Mm -hmm. what they, what they offer, Mm -hmm. how people come from all over the place, even Columbus. He's like, (laughs) he even said, I don't know, maybe he really knew who he was talking to, but he's like, professors come from Columbus. (laughs) Apropos of nothing. He's like, people come from Columbus. Teachers come from Columbus and bring their students here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it really, his his pride Pride. was Mm -hmm. palpable. He shared it. Um, you know, I took pictures of the mural, you know, he had to pay somebody that who understood the mural tradition, Mm -hmm. who was also located in Ohio, Mm. right? It was something that lifted everybody up. Right, right. Um, I, I don't have a whole course that um, teaches food studies, but I do do a lesson with my classes with heritage speakers um, about food. because that's so tied to who we are, our identity, our place, right? And um, students don't always think about that, right? When you just get used to like, oh, this is what we eat at home, or this is, you know, we make this at this time. And they don't really think about uh, why we do those things, right? Or, or how important they are. They know they're important, but they haven't really reflected on the fact that they're so important, right? And so this semester I had it was it was a joy to be able to work together with students um, to think about those right to think about a recipe that was um, you know from their home from their heritage uh, something that they cooked um, or if they you know if they couldn't come up with something that was family sort of special in the family something that they could um, research about you know the heritage of their their um, um, their parents, you know, uh, city or community. And, um, and it was great to see the students think about how that informed a lot of, you know, their growing up and where the products were and how that really spoke of home, right? They, they, they provided, we did a, a cook, you know, a, a cookbook sort of, uh, for, for the class. That's and awesome. it was, it was great. Oh my God. <laughs> and they That's had to fantastic. have a story, you know, they had to have a recipe, but also a story, like, why was this important? And one of the things that I really like reading is like, oh, this is, this is comfort food for me. This makes me feel home, like mm-hmm. home. Um, and, and and obviously the ingredients and, and thinking about, you know, like abuelita cooking this when I come home, you know. And so it was so connected to, you know, to who they are, to their family. And they they felt proud, you know, they felt proud of thinking through and, and really asking their parents, right? When yeah. one of them went back home over, we had a break and we were we had began, began to work on this. And she went back home and she made it um, with her mom. And, um, you know, again, just to like really think about and have that conversation with mom about the the dish. Uh, and it was, you know, some of the moments were very funny because like, oh, and this is so good. But I know when my my dad, you know, cooks it because it does not taste as good as my mom's, you know. And so they had those moments of just really thinking about that, which we don't always have, right? We just kind of, oh, we just make, you know, frijoles con arroz. And you don't really think about um, where that comes from, right? Um, Not all the time. 
And um, and along with that, we we saw a documentary, uh, truly Texas Mexican, that spoke a lot about the indigenous roots of foods, and they were they were really taken by that, like oh wow, like this, you know, and and they found some of the ingredients that they um, use at home, you know, that that have that sort of indigenous roots. And it was really great to see them um, think through how food is not just like this, you know, we, because we are um, absor- absorbed by this idea of like uh, fiesta, right? This idea of fiesta, celebration, and 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 food is not that, right? It's, it's more than that. It's mm. more, it's very connected to, to us, to our culture, to our family, to our memories, right? Is there, it's part of our memories. I mean, the smells that we can oh, yeah. think of is like, it transports you somewhere. Yeah. And, um, and so it's, it, it was a very fun unit to, to, to go through that with them. And I was, you know, we were doing, when I asked students to do something like that, that's, that can be, well, it's personal for sure, and it could be vulnerable in ways. I'm there with them. Like I, I also wrote my recipe, and I also wrote, you know, the story behind it. Um, and so there is a special kind of connection when you when you do things like that with students. That I think, in a way, is this decolonial practice, right? Of like honoring our food, honoring our family's tradition that we don't always see. Absolutely, that is amazing. I think that every heritage Spanish class should be accompanied by a recipe book project that you put together because you are decolonizing yourself, Mm -hmm. right? By giving this value to knowledge that is, we assume should be invisible or, right? You come to the university to change and to move towards book learning but what about the other kind of learning what about the learning of the senses Mm -hmm. what about the learning of love Mm -hmm. right we don't want to come to university to unlearn our family love Mm -hmm. right we want to recuperate that we want to be intact and we want to be able to bring that to where we are so i think that's a fantastic project and one that um especially with the vulnerability that comes around heritage learning Mm -hmm. right none of us think we speak spanish good enough right or we don't speak English good enough. Mm-hmm. Or uh, most of us are somewhere in between where we, we never feel like we are communicating the right way. Mm-hmm. And so how healing it is to know that that connection's intact, right? Mm-hmm. To your the, to the heart of your heritage, mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. that you're, you're allowed. You're allowed to inhabit mm-hmm. um, your cultural truth. Right. No, and you can share that and you know something about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that when people don't have access to language skills, I think that food is the last place they kind of hang on to. Or maybe that the most enduring place that mm-hmm. is like, but this is my passport. This is my participation. Mm-hmm. This is this is truly who I am because this is my home appetite. This is my paladar, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. you cannot fake that. That is my... You know, that's how I know I'm me, mm-hmm. you know, is because mm-hmm. this is what actually will put me together. If I don't have my pot of beans at home, you know, if I don't have my, like, you know, my tortilla, and if my tortilla is not kicking hard, <laughs> I'm <laughs> lost, I'm lost. <laughs> but that's a beautiful, I, I really appreciate hearing about yes, that yes. project. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you'll do something 
even more amazing with your students. No, I when won't. I promise you, it doesn't get more amazing <laughs> well, than that. Having the whole semester, right, yes. to work on that. Yeah. Is, there's so so much time to like really think, push back, reflect on it, right? Yes. Um, and that's that's a, a wonderful time. And teaching through food to me is one of the the most enjoyable things that I that uh, I get to do sometimes. You know? But let me push back. That that is a heritage environment right. thing. That is heritage medicine. Mm-hmm. Like that is like chamanismo mm-hmm. at the level of like people restoring something, which I think is happening in a heritage language mm-hmm. class. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Restoring something that you feel was lost or taken. There's violence in that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the food is the medicine. And where I'm planning to teach it, there's no require you know, that it is not it does not anticipate mm-hmm. um and it doesn't need to anticipate a heritage student population. Exactly. Everybody's welcome. But we're gonna be like looking at food journeys a little differently mm-hmm. than the people who are experiencing the consequences of deterritorialization mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the way that a lot of uh, Latino Latin American students do in this country. Right. Uh, Paloma, I know that you, like me, are a fan of Father G from mm-hmm. Homeboy Industries. Talk to us a bit about your chapter on Homegirl Cafe. Yeah. Homegirl Cafe is you know, one of the flagship projects of Homeboy Industries, which is wraparound social services. It's a diversion program. So for people to work at Homegirl Cafe, they will um, have, you know, it's a it's a um, diversion program. So there are people who have had substance abuse problems. Mm-hmm. They've uh, dealt with um, incarceration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, there's it is a rehabilitation and diversion program. Mm-hmm. No, they're at high risk. And this is to provide job skills, mm-hmm. um, but it is all the way through. It's beautiful that people work on growing mm-hmm. the food, on making sure that everything that comes on the table, that you know, all the produce is organic, on uh, getting those job skills, on working with the folks in the kitchen, um, you know, that d- teamwork and cooperation that happens so beautifully in a kitchen, or mm-hmm. troublingly, right? It's a, <laughs> it's a stressful place too, but you learn yes. a lot from that as well. And so people have gone on to be career, uh, you know, cooks and mm-hmm. um, have really, really valuable skills and a new kind of self-respect. The servers are not, it, it is not, it's homegirl cafe, but also men work in the in the mm-hmm. cafe um, mm-hmm. if they have interest in that. And um, it's really transformative. If you're in L.A., you must go visit. You must try the food. And if you can take the tour, you must because it is an extremely transformative uh, space and I think I think it is a decolonial project, mm-hmm. and it was nice mm-hmm. to be able to write a chapter that was, in fact, a love letter rather than just denouncing and decrying and dismaying. <laughs> you know, it was nice to have a, a love letter uh, mm-hmm. about what Father Greg does uh, for the community. In, in and LA. what an example, right, of a decol- decolonial practice that takes into account a population that. Um, for most of the society um, is mm, irrelevant, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Is um, a nuance more than somebody to invest mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And and here you, you know, here Father G has found a way to bring people back, right? To mm-hmm. find, to provide, again, full dignity. And I think it comes from that work, working the land to the plants, to getting your hands into the dirt and yeah. and growing something, t- 
taking care of something, seeing it grow, and having uh, pride in that work, right? Absolutely. And that is, yeah. it's not just decolonial, but it goes back to, you know, what I said about blooming where you're planted. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not trying to take home, home girls and home boys. It's not trying to slap that out of their hands. Mm-hmm. You know, it is saying that who you are, where you are, and where you're from, you don't have to turn your back on those things mm-hmm. to be a healthy, whole, productive person. Mm-hmm. And that means something to me, um, that you can be from the neighborhood, you can be from the barrio and still care about that. And and it's not trying to, you know, take young women and, and put, uh, you know, put them in a skirt suit mm-hmm. and make them all look like uh, real estate, uh, you know, professionals, mm-hmm. <laughs> real estate agents. You know, right, it's not like, right. you know, everybody has to conform and, and conform to what upward mobility in this society mm-hmm. should look like for the middle class or for the elite aspiring. So it doesn't do that. You know, it, it feels very organic. It feels like, you know, yeah, be, be you, mm-hmm. um, you know, add to that. Don't, t- don't subtract from that. Right. Don't look at you as a deficit. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at what we can add to your perfect self. Right, right. Um, Paloma, what are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked because I'm working on a biography of mm-hmm. Ruben Castilla Herrera, mm-hmm. an activist, mm-hmm. and it's actually benefited very much from your oral history project because mm-hmm. I'm quoting. So expect to hear from me when the publisher wants uh, permission oh, of to include a quote from the interview <laughs> you conducted with him. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. That that's going to be called Trust the Circle, mm. Ruben Castilla Herrera's Devices for Inciting Compassion. And I could think of no better segue out of talking about Father Greg to talking mm. about Ruben and the yeah. way that in this community, he was our Father Greg. He was our Cesar Chavez. And uh, he, we want to remember him as such in mm-hmm. a space, specifically in Ohio, where we don't have a lot of Latinx leadership to to celebrate. We don't have a lot of progressive leadership that mm-hmm. was so, that was such a, had so much heart and so much um, fearlessness mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. he was always extending. So I want to make sure that we, um, th- that we don't just remember him and put him on a shelf, but that we activate the things that mattered to him. Right. That's why it's right. called devices for inciting compassion. I want us to keep doing that inciting that he was so good at. Mm-hmm. And I want us to take a page from his book and, and put mm-hmm. that to work because mm-hmm. he's not done talking to us. Right. Paloma, that's another love letter, letter. one yeah. to Homeboy Industries and one to Ruben. And, and we do, we miss him and we mm-hmm. are... Um, he left a, a gap in our mm-hmm. community, and hopefully, um, you know, through reading that, we can be ignited again, like you said. Um, we need it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and thank God I get to celebrate these people, right? Mm-hmm. What a what a gift that is to, mm-hmm. to have folks that uh, we can use our scholarship mm-hmm. to celebrate and not simply... Um, like like I said, deny or protest or be dismayed, you know, that there's a lot of amazing work going on. And I want to congratulate you, too, because your project has definitely helped us have these archives mm-hmm. to look to and these people who um, have been plugging away um, in their uh, respective fields, making a difference mm-hmm. to what it feels like to be Latino in Ohio. Right, right. Paloma, muchas gracias por esta conversación. 
Muchísimas gracias. Uh -huh. Ha sido un súper placer. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Thank <laughs> you.